0: Hello everybody. This is Lee Cook in episode 2 of Novelty Drive. I guess I don't really have to say the number of episode at the end or at the beginning of each one, but it's easy when it's only number 2. It's been it's been kind of weird trying to figure everything out. Um the the booking is kinda hard. I'm I'm lucky in that I happen to know the person that's in this episode, Craig Cop, who is the general manager of WMNF Tampa Bay, uh local public broadcasting radio station. Um so I figured he'd be a, a perfect person to reach out to and luckily for me he agreed to be on the podcast. Um, other than that, I have made an Instagram, uh, at Novelty Drive on Instagram, and same on Twitter, at Novelty Drive, uh, you can follow me there. If you want to reach out to me, uh, on email, it's com. repping that Outlook, you know how it goes. What else has been going on? Um, I've, I've reached out to some people, I reached out to John Stewart, he turned me down, uh but it was cool to get a reply. The author, Piers Anthony, who wrote, um, one of my favorite book series ever. I actually reached out to him and was lucky enough to have uh, a reply. One of his assistants, I guess, read, read the email to him and he wrote down a reply for me. Uh, unfortunately he said it was a bit too much to figure out the, the techn- technology of it all. And, uh, he would have to pass, but it was still really, really cool to to hear back from him. Other than that, there's a couple other people that I've, I've talked to. Um, some people that I've agreed, and then I never heard from them again. Some people don't reply. That's how it goes, you know. But it's definitely been an interesting and fun process for me to um, figure it all out. Anyway, beyond that, uh, I just figured out how hosting goes. How that works? There's a there's a website that I'm gonna use to host um, Pippa, and they kind of you just you just put in all your information and then they publish it to all the all the platforms necessary. So um, that's a pretty simple process. Uh, you can you can post a certain amount of episodes for free and then I think you pay for like a subscription plan. So right now that's the route I'm gonna go, and um, I think that'll work out nicely. As for this podcast, I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed my conversation with Craig. It was everything I wanted it to be. I'm um, I, I was I'm still learning exactly how to conduct an interview without just it being a series of questions, how to actually have a conversation. And, uh, you know, after after this conversation and a little bit throughout it, me and, me and Craig talked about that, too. Um, he definitely understands what I'm going for and uh, he was just so great to have on, and I hope you guys enjoy the talk. Uh, without further ado, here is Craig Cop. Okay, so I am here with Craig Cop. He's the general manager at WMNF Community Radio in Tampa, Florida, 88.5. He's graciously not only agreed to um, be my second guest and talk to me, but he's also letting us use the studio here at WMNF. So in a way, he's also producing this podcast as well as being in... Uh, I am sitting I at the
1: board watching the blinking lights and such, so <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So first of all, Craig, I guess I was wondering if you could just give a brief history of your work experience leading up to your
1: job here. All right. A uh, brief that spans... <laughs> Uh, many a decade, actually, Um, I'm sad to admit. Uh, Let's see. I graduated college in 1974 from Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Uh, I had a major in American history and a minor in journalism. Uh, I was going to go to law school. I took the LSATs. Uh, the night after my rock band played a gig at a local bar, I actually did get decent enough marks on that to uh, get accepted at a couple of law schools. But during my time in school, I had gravitated on the journalism department toward the broadcasting side of things because I had seen um, my girlfriend at the time had a girlfriend whose boyfriend was a DJ in town. So I saw him do his thing one night and I thought, well, that looks like fun. Uh, So I kind of gravitated that way and was a little sick of going to school and uh, broke up the band, sold the equipment, paid off my last quarter of school. And uh, and that
0: band went on to become the Beatles. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. No, uh, thank God. Uh, then I would have more regrets than I already have, which I'm not going to talk about during this interview. Uh, but I uh, I started. I did not work at the school radio station. I did not do any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, the job up uh, an internship had opened up at a local rock station. Uh, in Toledo, Ohio, uh, I got tipped to that by a woman who was already getting far better offers. This was 1974 people trying to get women into this business. And, uh, she said, I can be a booth announcer for way more money. So for $2 an hour, which is all eaten up by gas and paying for the parking, I went and got this internship based on a tape I just made up (laughs) and, uh, really learned on the job. And, uh, by the time my internship was over, um, uh, they offered me a full-time job. The irony of all this is I had hair down to my ass, and I cut that hair up and eventually got a job where everybody there had long had hair. Had long hair. Yeah, you know, it's... the sacrifices you make to be in the business and really learned on the job. Um, I learned how to write for broadcast uh, as a broadcaster. Um, it was a hell, hellish six or seven months. Uh, heard an audible click when I started understanding the concept of flow and conversational writing. And it just moved on from there. And uh, so I worked at that station till the end of 1976, I moved to Cincinnati, worked for a station called WEBN. It was a <clears throat> one of about five or six stations in the nation uh, that had a rep for creativity and uh independence it was actually family owned at the time i worked there for 20 years uh corporate came in uh i was uh, kind of asked to either get rid of somebody in my department or move to another station i moved to another station am talk radio did that for another 10 years um it was my 10 years in hell uh I was the liberal voice on uh, the Rush Limbaugh station, uh, paired with a arch-conservative guy locally, but it taught me a lot about, you talk for uh, four hours in the day, uh, from 5 a.m. until 9 a.m., uh, to mostly a crowd of people who do not like you. Uh, you learn a lot and develop a lot of chops and a lot of interview skills. In the meantime, during this period of time, I also was in television, I was Uh, a newspaper uh, and uh, television movie critic and feature writer. This was a freelance business that I had. So for about 10 years in that period of time, I would get off of work on the radio at uh, 9 a.m., catch a 1230 flight to Los Angeles, see a couple of movies, interview the people in the movies, see a couple of movies, interview the people in the movies, come back on Sunday. Uh, That experience taught me a lot about how to interview in a small period of time and get the most out of it. So I did all of that as well as, uh, and then produced that for television and wrote it up for newspapers. So uh, I had a, I had a lot going on there from about 1986 uh, till about 2000, right around the crash uh, 2008 when things started to dry up, but things really started to dry up in the media world after uh, 9-11. Mm-hmm. People stopped uh, hiring freelancers and started taking stuff from the net. So that, in a nutshell, and I know that seems a little long, but I've been around for a while. So that's how I got here. Um,
0: so if we go back to the night or the right after you took your LSAT and you decided not to go to law school, what what was it about broadcasting that seemed that had a higher appeal to you than doing
1: that? <sighs> well... And it was not just law school. Um, I was a fairly decent, despite being in a rock band. I was a decent student and had been offered a grad assistantship in the history department, and could have gone on to be a professor, a professor of history. Um, the performance side of things, really. Um, obviously, I was in a rock band. There's a certain amount of performance. Uh, I got just by sheer luck hooked up with. Um, the cool kids and i was not one uh but the, i worked for the rock station in town and the, back then they had news pro- progressive sort of news departments mm-hmm. um there was a lot going on uh and i as soon as i got a taste of it i wanted a bigger taste and the challenge of doing it i don't know why i knew i could cuz when i started i could not Um, but I knew I could, and there's a certain performance. And then that communications thing, when it clicks in your head that you're not, um, some kind of disembodied voice coming through a speaker, but that you're having a one-to-one conversation, it's just that some, on the other end of there, there could be a couple of thousand or more one-on-one conversations you're having, um, there's just something there that clicked with me I like that communication side of things uh, the writing stuff and that took a lot of time but I took to the microphone pretty quickly
0: one of the one of the aspects or one of the the qualities of what I consider successful people that I'm trying to explore or, an aspect that I think probably takes place in their lives is, as you mentioned earlier, achieving that kind of flow state. Um, and like, I, I like making music so I can, if I go and sit in the room where I make music and I plug in my speakers and I pull up the program or whatever, uh, taking that deliberate step to putting myself in the position where maybe I can get out of the way and start to channel the creativity Um to create what I'm setting out to create that, that to me is the flow state. What is there? Have you experienced a similar thing trying to deliberately put yourself in the path where you get into a state like that?
1: Yeah. I I consider it more to be a high wire act. Um, I like live. And even when we're recording right now, I don't think about us as recording. I'm thinking about what we're doing in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're live. Um, and I like live because there's no net. And you kind of build a resilience over time that gives you the confidence that... I say this and I say this jokingly. And I've, I've stolen this from somebody else. This is not mine. Um, but what we do in broadcasting and whether we're live or whether we're recording this interview, um, is not air traffic control. If I make a mistake, no one will die. Right. I will be slightly embarrassed. It turns out I don't embarrass very easily. <laughs> and that idea, that concept that I can't embarrass myself actually makes me sound freer, and I believe when someone hears me or listens to me, there's more of an authenticity and that authenticity is a back, back brain thing with them. They hear me and they think I'm authentic mm-hmm. because I'll, I'll, I'll fall off my chair and I'll go, no, well, um, I haven't even been drinking and I fell off the chair. Uh, I am clumsy or whatever. I, I that kind of concept that anything can happen And to be open to that anything can happen is what gets me into a flow. Although over time, like doing all those television interviews, you're walking in cold Mm -hmm. to a Robin Williams uh, and you got five minutes with Robin Williams. Um, I've learned to plan for my spontaneity. Um, I have... Questions and they're written out and I've spent hours coming up with what I think is five minutes. Um, And that that also it takes the pressure off. Right. If I ask something and it goes nowhere, I know I got something somewhere else to go. But if I ask something and two things happen here, I'm prepared. So I can listen, because really in the interview thing, it's not about talking. It's about listening. If I'm there as an absolute open human being and listening to what they're saying, they may say something that I've never heard before. I didn't know. And I can follow that and Mm -hmm. risk following that. It may not go anywhere, but again, I can go back to the roadmap I made. So uh, while I say it's a high wire act and anything can happen, I now plan. This is... After 40 years, this is what I've learned. I plan so I can be spontaneous. (laughs) I plan so that I can listen because I'm not afraid that I won't have anywhere to go. I can always go back to my plan, just shift gears. And that has opened up all kinds of possibilities to me when it comes time to sit down and do an interview. And it's also freed me up. Um, it used to be uh, just sit down and let's see what happens. Now, I know what's going to happen, and I also don't know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen on in my little plan, and that gives me all the room in the world to go some other direction and really come up with something special.
0: Um, When I was talking to my last guest, Dustin Marshall, he has worked with a lot of comedians and like musicians and things like that that I'm fans of. And when he was telling stories, it was it was easy for me to get excited about them. But he kept stressing the importance of knowing that even like all these people that you admire and respect, um, just because they're celebrities doesn't mean that they aren't people anymore. So when you say something like going in and having five minutes to talk to Robin Williams, um, that's such a unique situation that such a minute amount of people in the world have access to. How do you deal with the kind of novelty of that situation without letting the, like the, the gravity of who that person is overtake their personalness?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in the personalness anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not interested. I, I, I'm not exactly sure how I broke the fanboy thing. Because I was surrounded by lots of people who did the same thing I do and were unabashedly fanboy, right? And I, I, you know, it's that you just walk in, and let's see. My assumption is if they're sitting down with me, they want to talk. My job get them to talk about what they want to talk about. Uh, in my case, they always wanted to talk about their movie, but you know, I would look for angles inside that and look for, how, does, how do you react personally to that? But I never had that huge problem of, <laughs> my wife will tell me, I, I took my wife on a couple of these little excursions and walk, she got to come into the room with me and she would say exactly what you asked me, how do you do that? I mean, that was so-and-so. Right. You know, you've watched them on, you know, Friends or something like that for years. How do you just walk in and sit down and say, hi, how you doing? That's how you do it. You walk in and say, hi, how you doing? Let's talk. Because I'm more interested in what they're going to say than who they are. I already know who they are, and that's why I'm sitting there talking to them, because they're somebody famous— Um, who has done things that people appreciate. So for some reason, all you have to do is wait four hours to interview a rock star because they're never on time um, to have the kind of the bloom come off the rose of that there's somebody incredibly special. Um, There's somebody who's incredibly late, has wasted four hours of my time, I'm going to get something out of this in spite of them. And uh, uh, that, that I don't know if that helped, but I just know that I don't think of them as that person. Um, I think of them as somebody, there's this whole theory about um, people like me being a shadow artist. Um, I don't have the balls to be an actual artist. I like to talk to artists about what they do because they have that one thing I don't. They've turned the crank just one step further. And um, I like talking about movies, talking about acting, talking about whatever. I don't do it, though, do
0: I? <laughs> but do you do you think that's even true that they've turned the crank one step further or have they just focused in on a different path than you had like, don't you think that if you had decided I'm going to be a rock star and you stuck with your band or I want to do whatever and you devoted to it, you would?
1: I, well, the, the odds on the former are uh, way higher. Um, yeah, it's possible. Um, uh, I, but it took me till I was at least in my late 40s before I called myself a writer. And by that time, I had written millions of words in a particular style that is mine. Um, So I'm not exactly sure this is one of those things I'll take to my grave or be asking my question, that question. Yeah, I chose this way. Um, It may have been the easier, softer way. Lots of people tell me not necessarily that not everybody can do this. And it's true. Um, But I could teach this and make people competent at this. Mm. There's some things, you know, I've never stopped. Comedians just I watch every show I can about stand up because that's the most soul-bearing um talk about high wire acts cuz you do not get successful in that line of work without a tremendous amount of pain
0: <laughs> one of one of the things that um
1: I heard Joe Rogan say
0: was that he appreciates about comedy is that the the skill and the amount of work of the comedian will like if, if they're doing the right stuff, they're going to be successful. And if they don't do the right stuff, they're going to fail just so incredibly hard. And I'm the same way. I love I love comedy. I, I study it all the time. It's to me comedy is like one step past rock star.
1: Um yeah, I think it probably is, because a rock star doesn't write his tunes in front of an audience. Mm-hmm he hones the tune and then brings it in front of an audience. Based
0: off the reaction, like, oh, a, they like that bit. I
1: a mean, comedian, bit. I've been to clubs in New York and watched really famous comedians working stuff out um, and and trying to figure out what's going to work. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you may be right. That is maybe one step past Rockstar.
0: Um, <laughs> okay, so in terms of... You you have a certain notoriety to you because you've been on airwaves and radio and TV and everything for decades. Now you are the GM of this radio station in Tampa. When you see people like driving around with 88.5 stickers on their cars and things like that, does that impress upon you the uniqueness of your situation? Yeah,
1: it does. I, I mean... This station has been here, actually, thirty-nine years. Um, it's a unique station. It's a unique station in America. Um, when the commercial business started to become more and more corporate, you know, eventually, I my string ran ran out there, and I had nowhere to go. And I got into public radio because I always liked the public radio vibe, um, but I also um, didn't want to totally be a kind of an NPR kind of geek. So I went to a AAA, great AAA station, a little tiny thing, up in where I come from in Cincinnati. Went in as news and ended up doing air shifts and all kinds of stuff. Um, the money wasn't there. I did come down to an all-NPR station in Florida at the University of South Florida and was an anchor, um, which was fine. And I got to do some feature stuff and um, got that shop back together after doing talk radio for 10 years. And then this opened up. If people don't know what this station is, but it's a, it's a community station that went on the air 39 years ago because people went door to door for donations. They got a used transmitter from some station in California. They pulled it up onto a broadcast antenna with a rope tied to the back of somebody's car. And they just said, You want to do a show? Come on and do a show. So there's polka music and accordion music and you know all kinds of stuff and it eventually kind of morphed in the 80s playing the stuff that a tampa bay market didn't play kind of the 80s underground stuff um this was the first station in town that played rap music um and now there's three or four of yeah. them um so it was always open to that kind of thing now it's kind of like a triple a adult album alternative station um, but we still don't have a format. Every DJ that comes in here is pretty much a volunteer. They pretty much call what they play. It's a very unique sound. plus we have a very large news and public affairs commitment. I was in rock radio for 25 years on the news side of things. So I mean that's that's my wheelhouse, right. Um, so when I see it, what I'm you know what I see when I need a couple of thousand more, bumper stickers that say 88.5 Um because i think there's an audience in, in this market now that doesn't know anything about this radio station and how special it is and that's kind of that's kind of when i see those i say more i need more
0: <laughs> and the the cool thing too is 88.5 is such a perfect match for the kind of city that tampa is anyway tampa has like a pretty strong I wouldn't I don't know if it's safe to call 88.5 a counterculture radio but it's it's less it's not like the oh it's counterculture yeah. but Tampa has such a good scene for that kind of stuff there's a lot of as compared to with risk of offending southerners or whatever as compared to a lot of the rest of the south or a lot of the other cities in Florida I find Tampa to be on the more progressive end of things with uh, wider area of interest,
1: so it's, fun. it's funny. Miami is pretty a pretty progressive city, but it doesn't have anything like this, right? Um, n- uh, nobody in the southern states has anything like this. To me, it's a huge deal um, that uh, actually probably has a life after broadcast is over and digital because it's so local. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, Tampa is an interesting place. It's uh, more people you know, moving in all the time. Um, uh, it's a uh, younger crowd tends to move out. Um, uh, it's it's very, it's, it's, it's the weirdest market I think I've ever worked in <laughs> because it's so transient, both locals moving out and people from somewhere else moving in. Um, it's the, you know, the birthplace of pro wrestling really. Um, and uh, death metal mm-hmm. um, It's just all over the map. And that's pretty much this radio station. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, I was listening to your Everyday Ethics podcast, uh, specifically the the one I most recently listened to, which actually I guess was your most recent episode about sleep. Mm -hmm. Dustin Marshall, one of the things he said when I was talking to him was that one of the keys to his (laughs) success that he considers is that he thinks everybody else sleeps too much and kind of went on... uh, long tirade about how young people shouldn't sleep as much and then it it was funny because right after that I listened to your podcast all uh, devoted to that so in in your life I guess how how much do you think has been sacrificial of things like sleep or quality time with people you care about things like that uh, versus pursuing your career interests and balance the balancing act between it all?
1: There has been a ton of sacrifice on that level. Uh, I spent from 1976 to 2007 getting up at 2.30 in the morning, Mm -hmm. five days a week. Wow. Um, From 1986 to 2010... I would get up at two thirty in the morning on Friday, and go to bed at uh, twelve thirty L.A. time, which means I had pulled a twenty-four hour day. Wow. Yeah, um, and then get on a plane, come back on Sunday night, get up at two thirty. My doctor once said I was in a permanent state of jet lag. So, yeah, I paid a price there. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had a family. I did not travel as much when the kids were young. Um, But later on, um, yeah, um, because I had the opportunity. And, you know, as a boy, I wanted to be a pilot, couldn't pull the trigger on that. uh, But I had always dreamed of, you know, flying from LA to New York or New York to LA. I've done it, you know, six, seven times. Mm I've um, uh, flown across the country, at least from Cincinnati to, to L.A. all the time. Uh, spent a lot of time in New York. Uh, but, yeah, I sacrificed a lot in terms of that. Um, I value sleep highly now. Um, I think I have even paid a price physically. Mm-hmm. So anybody who says, yeah, you can sleep when you're dead, well, the problem with that is you're going to be dead <laughs> you sooner. Be dead. Yeah. You're going to be dead sooner because you didn't sleep enough end of story, end of lecture. Because I did it. I didn't sleep at all. Okay. No, I didn't sleep at all. And during the rock days, you know, two or three nights a week, you were out and about, you Mm -hmm. know, at concerts and all that kind of crap, getting up at 2.30 in the morning, hitting the airwaves at 5. I mean, we we slammed it pretty hard. Are you surprised at the success and...
0: Just, just the amount of growth that podcasting as a platform has kind of had in the last couple of years as someone who's spent spent your life in things like talk radio and broadcasting and stuff. It seems like podcasting is the medium that you've been waiting for or thinking would come around. I
1: guess. You know, not, am I surprised? No, because it's just the Netflix of radio, um, especially the high production uh, side of podcasting. Uh You know, Netflix claims it's new media. Uh, What does Netflix do now? Well, it does its own situation. Comedies, it does its own movies. It's just another damn network. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just on demand. Um, uh, Podcasting is nothing but radio. And there's not one really good podcast that isn't a really good radio. There's nothing new about it. Not one thing new about it.
0: Well, I think... think you could pinpoint just the lack of, um, you know, network say so and what you're doing. Like you could, you could say or do anything in a podcast, or it could be about anything without. Well, that's someone that to is that's your... the
1: absolute that's the absolute beauty of it. Um, I used to have a poster hanging in my office for years and years and years from a journalist that no one knows anymore. His name was A. J. Liebling. He was a a writer, a gourmand, a big fat guy who covered wars and all this kind of stuff. But he did it kind of from the first person perspective. Uh, which was unheard of when he did this in Mm -hmm. the 40s and the the 50s. And the poster said freedom of the press applies only to those who own one. Well, guess what? We now started with the Internet and blogging. And, you know, uh, podcasting is nothing more than kind of audio blogging. Um, But now, yeah, there's nobody to tell you that you can't do that. Right. Uh, The most successful podcasts I think, I don't know what, eight out of the top 10 are NPR generated. They're high, they're high uh, production value. Mm-hmm. Um, there's w- lots of people out there working on those shows. Um, and so I, the podcasting I'm interested in is of the more Mark um, Marin variety. I mean, he's okay. hugely successful with WTF. Uh, but it's very low rent. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a rant in the front end and he has an interview. Uh, very little production value. I am fascinated by that. And then you go step down, step down, step down. I swear to God, and I actually teach this, you take take your, your uh, smartphone. Uh, the microphone on that is better than microphones I've had throughout most of my career. Um, you can set that between two people. Sit down, start having a conversation. Um, use free editing software like Audacity um, uh, and come up with a podcast that pe- somebody's going to be interested yeah. in. So, yeah, I'm way into the fact that this is uh, every man's broadcasting and it's not. And, and I think what's really made it interesting and what made it grow is the fact that the, the leveling of broadcasting with the corporate takeover. I mean, every market sounds the same. Every market sounds the same. Same people, same stuff, same music. Um, podcasts, not so much. Yeah. Um, you don't even have to have a broadcasting voice. I have one. Um, it's about two octaves lower than it was when I started because uh, I'm more relaxed about it. But I have one. You don't have to have one. You just have to be interesting. And you have to talk about stuff that people are interested in. You can do niche podcasting real small you're not out to make a, a million bucks you're not out to make a dollar you're out to communicate your ideas to an audience that's interested in those ideas
0: yeah that's that's actually what i was just thinking as you were talking uh specifically niche podcasting is like what's what's really interesting to me is i could i could do a podcast about enjoying wearing unicorn costumes and running around the city and the The world's big enough to where there's probably a couple thousand people that like that same tiny activity. All well, you well, have to do is get the fact to that to it, it exists yeah.
1: in front of them, and they'll they'll tune in for a listening. Listen, I think there are some rules to this game, and I think the rules are, are broadcasting rules, essentially. But yeah, yeah, you know, um, I, I'm interested in. Uh, investing in this kind of property, you know, uh, over and over again. You know, I, I'm not very smart about that kind of stuff, but it could be anything. It could be the uni- <laughs> unicorn. Co- yeah, there's probably more than a couple of thousand. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it could be anything. And I'm interested in that because everybody thinks right now, 93% of everybody 18 years or older listens to the radio once a week, and that's more than everybody who listens to television, uses a uh, a tablet or a PC. It's about, I don't know, maybe at tops, at 8% listen to podcasts.
0: Well, it's crazy because now, now, like, some of the biggest TV shows, network TV shows, if they pull in, like, 2.5 million views or whatever in ratings— That would have gotten them canceled a couple years ago. And now, like some of the highest rated TV shows are pulling in numbers like that. Highest
1: rated cable. Mm. Highest rated network TV 18, 20, Mm -hmm. 15, 10. As much as everybody that's, I don't like the guy who runs Netflix because he talks about old media and I think he's. He's just a new delivery system doing old media. Um, but no, cable, yeah, they don't get the kind of they get they get millions. Broadcast television um, gets over 10 million. So it hasn't changed yet. It hasn't changed over yet. There's a lot more options. and I use all of them. Um, and I don't actually watch much network television anymore. But their numbers are astounding. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a a Sean Hannity or something like that on cable. Oh, man, 60 Minutes has them slaughtered with numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's way more numbers. It hasn't changed yet. It's going to change, and that's why everybody's so interested interested in it. Plus, the new media talks all the time about how they've changed everything. They haven't yet. It's going to change. There's no doubt about it. But it's got to be as easy as uh, flicking on my— you know, cable box and and turning to Channel 5 in Tampa.
0: So do you think that there's potential for for individuals that have podcasts that are disseminating information out into the world or giving their viewpoint of the world? What do you think is the counterbalance of being responsible for what you're saying versus maybe big network news stations? Like if you're a big network news, you can't just – Blatantly tell lies without having some kind of repercussions. Well, you can on cable, but, can't
1: a, but <laughs> <laughs> you can on cable. There's some proof. Mm-hmm. There's some proof that you don't have to be accurate. Um, uh, there are laws, uh, slander laws for television, libel laws for newspapers. Um, uh, it's personal responsibility. Um, y- you can. <sighs> I have, this is a huge problem for me because I am a huge free press advocate and, and a free speech advocate, so I have trouble with anybody trying to limit somebody's speech. So when some of the crazies have Internet shows that are, if they begin to do harm, literal harm, then I can see moving on them.
0: Can I ask you your InfoWars opinion?
1: They legitimately do harm. Um, there have been death threats against the families of the kids who were killed in that element, elementary school mm-hmm. um, because of the wacko crap that was on InfoWars. They literally do harm. I don't have a... And by the way... um <sighs> The Internet, uh, the Internet providers, um, they're not as—Facebook, Twitter, they can make, they're they making up their own rules. They're not regulated. They can do whatever the hell they want, to. Mm-hmm. And if they decide, I don't want you, you're gone. Um, I don't know how—I don't know if I like that at all. But when something starts to actually do harm or put people in harm's way, a move has to be made on it. Otherwise, it is the wild, wild west. There's just no doubt about it. I think— um, Saner heads will you know, you have to you have to believe that saner heads prevail. This is my American history um, you know, degree kicking in here. But um just like this radio station, I have the worst business model in the world. I put this radio out there and I depend on seventy percent of seventy percent of my money comes from people just saying, Okay, I'll give you some money. Right. Shouldn't work. It does. Um, democracy, the, as free as we are, we are really free. Um, uh, it shouldn't work because freedom scares people. Um, they're afraid <clears throat> because freedom requires you to allow something you don't like to exist. You don't like porn? Yeah. You want to be free? Yeah. You got to have porn. Yeah. If somebody wants to make it and somebody wants to watch it. Um. Uh. You, it should not work, and generally hasn't. We have been blessed because I think the way we've set it up is like a human body, and there are white blood cells in our democracy, our system, that eventually leap on malignant things like infowars and get rid of them. It's happened mm-hmm. lots of times in our society. So, yeah. But uh, as free as it as free as it can be, as long as you do no harm.
0: There's um there's the idea that maybe f- free speech is free up until someone wrote down on paper, oh people get free speech and now you have the chance to limit it because it's written on paper. Do you put any stock no, in that?
1: No. No. Um the constitution is pretty freaking clear. <laughs> um Congress shall make no law. Yeah, okay. Um and they shall not. Um I'm not free I can't walk down the hall, get on, get in the live studio, and drop the f bomb, right? Because it was determined that broadcasting there's only so much room on the spectrum, so uh, you have to issue licenses, and the licensing body can tell you what you can or cannot do. Um, so I've worked my lifetime in something that is not 100 percent free, uh, but the thoughts tend to be not. Regulated, it's language and stuff like that. I'll live with that. In earlier, you mentioned that
0: seventy percent of the money that you have to work with comes from people just donating it Mm -hmm. to you, giving it to you. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was already planning on asking you how being in this business for so long, for thirty years. I imagine, just like any job, there's a certain cutthroat aspect of it. People. Well, screwing people over, people trying to get ahead, people jockeying for rank. And because of that, I was initially going to see how cynical you were about what kind of people rise to power. But then you said that you rely on donations so heavily. So would you say that you are generally an optimist when it comes to success or seeing the best in people?
1: I have been, I spent the majority of my career in commercial, commercial, in the commercial space. Mm Mm-hmm. And to tell you the truth, competition was great, cause it made you better. It made you work harder, made you try to be more creative. In in the seventies, eighties, um, radio competition was great. Everybody competed to serve their listening audience better than their competition. So who wins? The audience. Mm-hmm. And I win, cause I'm pushed. When it all became owned by a couple of companies, there was a great leveling. They didn't, they literally said, you're not allowed to have it, uh, be any higher in the ratings than you are right now because we want this station to be higher. It was totally controlled, it was leveled, everything sounds the same. So that's that aspect of it is gone. Um, yeah, there was some cutthroat stuff, people going through the garbage at your station to find playlists and all this kind of stuff. It was kind of fun. Um, Uh, I I am an optimist as long as we don't end up with someone. Now, we're in a time now where, you know, enemy of the people has been associated with the press. press. That, if you could somehow convince the American people to go along with that concept, that will ruin the whole deal um i again i have faith that the actual american people the people that don't you know everybody at this place well my listeners say well what do you mean how how do you talk well they call up and i said yeah like 0.05% right. of people who listen to radio actually will pick up the phone and call. Nobody wants to do that. Um, so, those aren't your listeners. That's a listener. Um, it's called, and our business are called an active, and they're pretty much only satisfied if they have their own radio station. <laughs> um, but th- that great group of people who isn't heard are way smarter than you think. And uh, they eventually will not buy into that. They kind of just intrinsically understand. That it's better to hear stuff you don't want to hear than it is to hear stuff you want to hear that isn't true.
0: So what do you what what do you think drives people in general? just the 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 motivations of
1: your day to day American? I I always went for this comment. It would make my day, I would live off of it for twenty four hours. that. Is a good question. Um, I think I'm fairly normal. So I think what motivates me is generally what motivates everybody. I want to be happy, Mm -hmm. I want to feel good about myself. I want to feel good about the people around me. Uh, I want to feel good about my ability to survive. I never encountered this until like 2008 when the economy crashed, and I was on the beach anyway at the time, out of work for the first time in my entire career, where I didn't think I was going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. And that taste, that's what people don't want. They want to know they're going to make it. They want to know that the promise is real, that it is literally possible for me to be whatever I want to be. That's why I'm sitting in this chair right now because I always believe that. That dream right now is being taking a huge beating, huge beating, um uh and uh you know I'd love to see a way for us to rekindle that but I think that's what motivates people they want to believe the dream is real and they want to be happy do and you, safe
0: do you still believe that you can be whatever you want to be anyone could be whatever they want to be
1: yep cool yep i uh, it's uh we have a two, uh, we have a problem here because that doesn't mean you know, could I be... I once had dreams of being president of the United States. Right. I entertained that dream. Uh, we do have this kind of idea that I one day I will be on the streets. The next day I will be famous. And we have people who are rich and famous for being rich, rich and famous. And famous. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. You know... If the if the general rule of thumb is I want to have a job that I enjoy that satisfies and fulfills me and makes enough money that I can make my family comfortable and make some of their dreams come true, you know, th- that's more what I'm talking about because I think generally not everybody has this performance thing that you and I have. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it came from. I'm a farm kid. From Ohio, I don't. Uh, to me, it probably came from watching Ed Sullivan and the Beatles. I think that where it came from, and at that time, I had a better shot from that period for the next ten years of actually becoming a mm-hmm. rock star than any time after when it became a corporate business. But <clears throat> the, I know I have some uh, uh, stepchildren. Who literally believe that you can become famous <laughs> by, you know, for instance, getting pregnant and then having MTV put you on right. their show? I'm t- I'm a teenager and I'm pregnant. That's fame and fortune, and well, it's neither. It's none. It's none of those things. It's just so we have some problems with that concept. Um, but I think in general, what I think is that it's still possible to be anything you want to be um with the world of the internet um you, you could cha- you my positive side of me so you can literally change the world now watch the kids from parkland they're literally changing yeah. the equation literally changing the equation because they don't know they can't mm-hmm. so yeah it's still possible
0: so that brings me to That's kind of the point, I guess, that I'm trying to get at by doing this podcast is figuring out exactly what makes the people that in my head I'm calling successful get to that point. And one of the huge things I've been exploring on my own, thinking about on my own, wanting to explore is those deliberate decisions that when when you see someone doing something that you want to do in the world... The fact that they are doing it means that it's possible for you to do it as well. It's just everything in between is just putting in the work, uh, surrounding yourself with the right material, the right people, everything like that. Um,
1: I have just recently gotten in touch through the Magic Facebook with the former lead singer of one of my bands in high school. (laughs) I played guitar. She sang. Um, She had a great voice. The band was, (laughs) I I think it was called the Garden Club for whatever reason. I don't know. I lost touch with her after high school. I ended up in the broadcasting business. What is she doing? She's the number one backup singer Mm. um, for, uh, oh man, the, the, the name of the person just escaped me, Girls. Just want to have fun, that Madonna? No, no, <laughs> it presages you. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't believe I can't remember her name now. Um, but a huge star mm-hmm. who's still touring and still does all kinds of stuff. Um, but she's the she did she made her living, and a good one. Just saw a picture posted with uh, from her from Rome, where they're on tour. Um. Know how, why she did it? It's the only thing she did. Right. Me, I could not divide in high in college. I I couldn't divide myself from getting the grade, and being you know I was studying on breaks, uh, with the band, you know I couldn't divide it up. I I didn't trust. I didn't. I couldn't take that one step. The people who are in the music business who got great on guitar, played guitar. All the friggin' time, yeah. So it's a it's a singularity of purpose to get to the 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 absolute top. I'm pretty singular about the media. Right. I, I'm obsessed with the media. Um, I my wife goes, why do you watch that Sunday night football broadcast all the time so religiously? You don't watch any of the games during the day necessarily. Because the guys that do that, we were talking before we started about a guy named Dan Patrick. They are really good. They write on their feet. They don't have a script. They talk forever in complete sentences about stuff that they're really interested in. And they have a head full of knowledge that they can make come out of their mouth without ever writing it down. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. I try to do that. I think that's something I actually do. But I, so my singular purpose has been involved in watching how other people do it and trying to replicate that in my own special way as a broadcaster. Am I successful? I would have a, I, I, I never went to the networks. I had some opportunities. I did chose not to take them. Um, I had a family and I was ensconced at a really cool place in the place in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I chose to stay that. Um, but yeah, I'm successful. Um, there are all kinds of levels of success. And if your job makes you really happy and fulfilled, you're a success. If you want to be headlining at Madison Square Garden, your focus is on another level, right? It's on a Serena Williams level. If you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. that kind of focus
0: with the ease of access to media with the Internet and how easy it is to create content now, though, it's almost like you can you can market yourself as being a well-rounded individual and just try to be interesting enough for people to want to pay attention to and get some kind of level of performance success. So while you may not be Serena williams in Madison Square Garden, you can have people that are like, oh, he writes little funny songs that are okay to listen to, and his podcast is interesting, and every once in a while he posts a funny video on YouTube or something like that. Do you think that kind of changes the the landscape of how media relevancy is
1: portrayed? Well, it certainly changes the landscape. You know, uh, we old folks talk about the day when there are only three TV stations, (laughs) son. Uh, You know, and X number of radio stations. Um, There's an infinite number of places I can go for information and entertainment. Um, does that take the shine off it at all? Eh, depends on the world you grew up in. Uh, you know, I grew up in the era that Arena Rock was born. Uh, it wasn't that way always. Um, it happened. Um, it depends. So you're starting in this line of the time continuum. So... If that makes you feel successful, mm-hmm. then you are successful. Right. If you make any money at it, you are successful. I look at these things. There's a guy who does these videos of his little baby, you know, and he keeps going on. It's, it's got my dad's perspective of this kind of stuff. He was working, I think, in some public relations job, and he doesn't have that job anymore because he makes enough money off this YouTube series to support his family.
0: Do you think there's more people now that are being ingrained with this idea that there's more people actively pursuing, um, grand relevancy on a, on a bigger scale, wanting to be known a household name, uh, more than there used to be? Uh,
1: probably, um, uh, I mean it almost has to be the numbers are just there, uh but they're not gonna be a household name. I can't give you this guy's name, right? I don't know who, I don't have his name. I just you know read about him and saw one of his videos because I something I saw on Twitter. um there are uh girls who make a ton of money doing makeup and testing stuff out. I hear my wife listening to these videos. Um, I I don't know who the hell they are, and nobody will know who the hell they are. Uh, But they're having fun. Um, They're using media, and they're using media well uh, because it's innate. Your generation, um, this stuff is in your bloodstream, not so much with mine. You already know. You've seen so much of it. You've been raised on it. You've nursed on it. You, it's in your bloodstream. All you have to do is tap into what you already know, and you'll probably do better radio than I did when I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, but although, I got to tell you, I, <laughs> I had a radio lash to my bike on my newspaper paper route. So, you know, I, I've got it in my blood. So there's lots more. Yeah. Um, will you, are you going to be world famous? Only in your crowd. Right. But your crowd now is the entire freaking world. Right, that ought to be enough. Yeah, that'll yeah. suffice. And and it may be just this period of time. So watch your money, okay? Because uh, you may make some, and it may not last. Right. Um. And then you can go out and do something else. Uh. And be open to it. I. You know. I never had a plan. I sort of wish I had a slight plan. You know, I planned my interviews, but didn't plan my life. Mm-hmm. Uh. But it's been. Really interesting. (laughs) So, uh, you know, when, you know, when the lights go out, I can look back and and here's the secret, very little secret. Part of me, I think, just wanted um, to be remembered. And I've built a body of work now that in several places— I'll be remembered by more than just my family. Right. Um, that's probably very shallow, but it's it's a driving force. It's a driving force of authors. It's a driving force of a lot of people. Um, but, you know, I think that's part. And, you know, a lot of people will be remembered in their circle. Their circle is bigger than, you know, my circle in, in small market radio because the world is, is, is your potential audience. So i I don't do a lot of thinking about that. I don't i what I think about is I want people to remember and listen a lot and watch a lot and read a lot. just don't think oh, I can just go on and do it. it won't be the best. go on if you're gonna do it, it'll be the best it can be mm-hmm. and there are some people that you could listen to and be really really better,
0: yeah has it been interesting you you were just talking about your wide body of work and is it weird to have started in maybe? local markets and stuff like that where a select like a select city would have access to your work but now i can type your name in on youtube and watch videos of you from like the 80s running around doing stuff is it is it weird having knowing that out there there's just strangers that could have been born after you did these things watching you on the internet and they do and they do
1: yeah oh uh, yeah yeah it's weird um but not in the worst way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I was doing I was doing stuff on television, on the radio. I wasn't hiding it. I mean, this isn't a, uh, you know, uh some uh scandal tabloid show right. video of me, you know, smoking crack. Um it's stuff I did on purpose. Right. So, you know, so I have a Again there's another spot where I have a slight slice of immortality. I'll mm-hmm. live with that, although I rarely google my name.
0: One thing that I want to ask everybody that I have the opportunity to talk to if it's a little personal so if you don't want to answer no harm no foul. I was just wondering if there's any kind of uh like a meditative practice, a spiritual practice, any kind of religious thing that you that you followed that you think may have had an impact on on your drive or your success
1: that's really good um i'm a clean and sober fella Mm -hmm. and have been since like 81 uh it just seemed like it was taking up too much time and space interesting and uh i had a small fear that uh My creative edge would uh, drop off when I made that decision. Uh, Turns out, no. I just had a lot more time.
0: Did you use a program or anything like that? Yeah,
1: sure. Twelve
0: steps? Sure. Okay.
1: Yeah, and that's it. um, I did do that. And uh, it opened up a lot more time. That's how I ended up on television. Yeah. (laughs) And that's how I ended up writing for newspapers. I had the time. You know, I worked from 5 a.m. until 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, uh, despite the sleep deprivation, I was still wide awake. Um, f- kind of took a chance, asked some people, I'd like to do this. I think I could do this. Got some opportunities. Did it. Um, went searching all around for, you know, spiritual hangers, you know, something to grasp onto. Um, went several routes. Um And back more to an internal process at this point, no organized anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I am Buddhist leaning. Okay. um, Have a meditation practice uh, once a day um, and and try to stay on on that level. Um, But, yeah, um, I do have a spiritual practice.
0: Awesome. Yep can I ask how long your meditated meditation goes
1: about? I uh I do 20 to 30 Okay and I do it in the morning I, w- I would like to do 20 to 30 in the evening but I don't I don't always pull that off but in the morning I can I'll regularly pull that off
0: I've been uh I'm working my way through the Tibetan book of the dead right now it's it's a heavy read but it's, yeah. it's a good read
1: Yeah yeah I um I get it mostly what I do for meditation because I think um, it's more like a, it's like a data dump. Um, uh, I, I fully believe that I get glimpses of a larger space when I stop thinking. And meditation to me, the, the basic practice of meditation, is to still the mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am kind of one of those guys who believes in the gaps. You know, the gaps between my thoughts have all the information I need. You're always
0: just one thought away from being in the moment.
1: Yeah. And so if I can shut that down and hit a couple of gaps and feel that larger uh, universe, um, I'm good to go. And, you know, they they call it a practice because you never get it right. (laughs) And I know you said that you've been
0: clean and sober now for, since 81. Um, This is still a topic that interests me, so again, you don't have to answer, but do you... Have you ever had any kind of psychedelic uh, revelation through the use of something like psilocybin, LSD, DMT?
1: I had a three-month experience with said substances from uh, June of 1970 to August of 1970 between high school and college. Um, uh, I saw a lot of weird shit. Um, but it was, you know, I was walking down the street in the middle of the night and I realized I could not concentrate well enough to count from one to 10 without being easily distracted. Mm-hmm. thought that was probably a bad idea for college. Um, and so, uh, and plus got some bad stuff somewhere right? and was on again, off again. And, uh, so, um, I wouldn't call, I'm awfully glad I did it cause I know what it's like. Um, uh, whether I, my spiritual life was given birth in those experiences, nah. No? No.
0: Just no. a, just a interesting, it, it was time.
1: <laughs> they, they don't call them trips for nothing. Yeah. Cool. Um, I don't know how long we've been talking. According to my calculations, one hour, three minutes and 39 seconds.
0: That's, that's pretty good for me. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that we haven't talked about. I can always edit this stuff out later. Oh, I want to talk to you about your everyday ethics just a little bit. When you... Do you still prepare the same way that you always have for those talks? Or you just kind of say, okay, today we're... I guess where does your inspiration come from from your topic, first of all? And then do you plan a stance on it before you go in or do you just kind of let the conversation go
1: i probably have a stance on it before we go in um there are three people involved in that podcast one is across the bay from us in st petersburg florida the other is way up in new york city um uh we don't talk topics till the night before uh we agree on topics and then we all go our separate ways join up again i am basically the ringmaster of that thing Um, Because I have a media ethicist who's at the top of her field. I have a medical ethicist who's at the top of his field. Um, uh, And uh, I'm kind of the Mr. Average person uh, who goes into this thing. I do less planning on this than I would on my own personal interviews Mm -hmm. because I am 100% listening to what they're saying through this thing. To both guide the conversation and to see where mind go my mind goes, because you say you know we talked about the ethics of uh, sleep and how you know is it ethical to tell people you can sleep when you're dead, right? And, and how important is it and that that sort of thing. We've done the ethics of peeing in the pool. Uh, we've done lots of listeners for that one, by the way, all kinds of things. So I'm more in the moment in that situation because I have a different role. I am the listener and the reactor um, rather than I do have opinions on it and express them. But I have two experts that I rely on to give do the heavy lifting. So
0: how how do you know both of the the other contributors for everyday ethics? Because it seems like I was going to I was planning on asking you about networking specifically and how important it's been for your career, just being personable, talking to people, getting to know each other. Something like Everyday Ethics seems like a perfect example
1: of... Uh, I knew Kelly McBride first. She's a vice president at the Pointer Institute for Media Studies in St. Petersburg, Florida, which, by the way, owns the Tampa Bay Times. Um, It was set up long ago by the original owners of the Tampa Bay Times, Uh, and... uh, I met her because when I was at the other public radio station in town, I took over a segment called uh, Making Sense of the Media, and I totally changed the format of it, made it really fast and breezy and stuff like that, and she totally locked into what I was up to. Um, We did a lot of pre-planning for it um, so that it sounds like we're just talking, but we totally knew where we were going to take this thing. Um, Always had a joke at the end, uh, all kinds of stuff. Worked with her and we started talking about podcasting and she was very interested in this and she knew art kaplan um through her uh, ethicist world um and uh so he was on board to do it he was at the langone medical center in new york at nyu and uh we just tried it out and we all got along i've never yet met art Mm -hmm. officially
0: man and it's the sound quality on that podcast is so good for those being phone calls too. So uh, here's
1: the an okay. It's an ISDN line, um, which is a near broadcast uh, hardwire line that we have between us and um, uh, the Pointer Institute. They have a, a little mini ISDN mm-hmm. studio there. Um, those are going to go the way of the horse and buggy someday because phone companies don't want to take care of them anymore. But we have it right now. Art Kaplan is on his records on his iPhone. Really? Yeah. He's on a landline, and that's how we talk to him. We mix minus that out. Yeah. Um, he records with a earbud mm. because the microphone on an iPhone is so sensitive that it picks up what you're saying when you're recording it. You know, It picks up the speaker yeah. in his ear. So he uses the ear, earbud, and then he's, he emails that to us, and we do what's called a tape sync because okay. we don't have his phone. I can hear him on the phone, but I don't record it, and then we just mix it together yeah the, the sound is absolutely yeah, incredible really we've done them uh with two, two people on an iphone when kelly's in some other part of the country because she does travel some um we just mix minus out i'm the only thing on that that's taped in the studio and then we cr- crash them together uh and it, it's it's marvelous it's it's really cool but i've never met art but we get along great
0: awesome um is there anything that you want to Do you want to plug the station? Do you want to plug Everyday Ethics? Do you want to do anything like (laughs) that? We've already plugged the station.
1: We've already plugged Everyday Ethics. I'm going to plug um, uh, radio in general. Uh, Even my commercial competitors. Uh, It's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, There's uh, plenty to learn from people who've done this for a long time. Uh, If you want to be a podcaster... Uh, Listen to a lot of people who broadcast, because that will make you a better podcaster. Um, And appreciate the fact that old media still rules. It still rules. I told you, network television, their ratings are so far above anything. Netflix won't tell you how many people Mm -hmm. watch their programs. I guarantee you it's nowhere near what broadcast networks are. They, they, they function by word of mouth. Okay. Yeah, they, um, everybody knows it. There was a time that radio ratings were done. Where they send out 200 log books, literal books, and you would log in what you're listening to at any given time. There were morning shows in this country that had huge ratings, even Howard Stern, huge ratings. Then they changed to what they call personal people meters, it's a little thing you wear. Um, my station and all the other stations have a sub-carrier signal on there. Um, this is picked up by this little meter. You put it in a stand at night, goes to Nielsen. They know exactly what you're listening to all day long. That was the end of high-paid morning shows because mm-hmm. it turns out everybody knew who Howard Stern was, but they were not listening to right. him. Not in those. And Howard Stern's a bad example. Plenty of people because he was in a New York market. Um, But others, you know, just they were not listening. They knew who they were. They weren't listening. It's the same thing with Netflix. Everybody knows uh, Breaking Bad. Not everybody was watching it. So if you're going to be in this business, just know, just be light on your feet. You don't know what is going to take hold. And if you're offered a job in traditional media, take it. Take it. Because new media is just traditional media delivered in a different form
0: right um i know that sounded like i was coming to a close because i was asking you to plug something but then i remembered what i actually wanted to have as a close so um do you how important would you say being able to actually sit back and enjoy the life that you've built outside of your professional successful career like what what percentage of time would you say that you actually get to sit back and enjoy your life? And do you think that is an important quality to cultivate success? Or is that almost something that you have to kind of throw to the wayside?
1: I didn't try. There's a lot of right place, right time stuff going Mm -hmm. on here. Coupled with talent, I'm not ashamed to say, I have some. I have a brain like a sponge. I collect information as a hobby. My talent is to be able to bring it back out in a way that people can understand and sometimes be entertained by. But I did not... Success was always on my mind, but I went where the opportunities were. The biggest... To the, well, the biggest move I ever made from Toledo, Ohio to Cincinnati, Ohio, was for no extra money. Mm-hmm. I just thought that is a co- damn cool place to work. I want to be around those people. It was the best thing I ever did. Didn't make any more money on it. Um, but it, it certainly had a role in my success. Mm-hmm. In terms of enjoying it, here's the weird thing about time. I'm 66 years old. I don't feel 66. I feel like I'm totally plugged into everything that's going on. Um, I was once in a situation where somebody said, well, what can you tell me about Twitter? And I looked at this young lady and said, I guarantee you I've been on Twitter longer than you have. Um, but the thing about time is this. I don't want to be done yet. Mm-hmm. So do I enjoy it? Sure. Every time I'm on the air during a fun drive, when I'm on the air a lot, hawking what we do and 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 enjoying every minute of it because I don't have to lie, you know, <laughs> it you know like I can be totally honest about what it is we do here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I just enjoy the hell out of it, just love it. But as time I'm you know, I'm on the shorter end of the stick now, so there's things. I really want to do. I want to write a 100% honest piece Mm -hmm. with all of me in it, which is a high-risk thing I've never done because not all of me is marketable, attractive, (laughs) you know, um, and I don't even know what that is. I want to write one big long form. Mm-hmm. I still want to do a book. Um, so, I, yes, I enjoy it. I enjoy getting paid for you know doing this kind of work. Um, the old thing is it's way better than digging ditches. Um, but it's more than that. I'm very satisfied with it. Um, it has some meaning at this stage. I want meaning. I've always wanted meaning and have, I think, really managed to pull that off. But, you know, as as, uh, time marches on, um, uh, and I think this is a blessing, really. I think retirement sounds horrible. Really? Horrible. Unless I'm working on this project of a lifetime Mm -hmm. and I'm comfortable with it. Um, But, yeah, I don't want to not do nothing. I like to play golf. I don't want to play golf all the time. Right. I like the beach. I don't want to be on the beach all the time. I want my, there's a a lot going on up there. Mm -hmm. If I could figure out a way to spill that out on a page or into a podcast or into something like that, I still want to do it. So I am enjoying it, but I don't feel done. Cool.
0: Awesome answer. The very last thing I want to say, it's not a question that you have to answer. Um, It's something I decided to ask of my guests every time I finish With you, I almost didn't because it seems so ridiculous to even say this to you because you've been so kind and so gracious and so supportive of me every time I've reached out to you um, that it almost feels redundant to ask this of you. But for the sake of the podcast, um, I'm asking you to just, after this, as you're going about your life, try to use the fact that you're Craig Cop to... Just someone's advantage that they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have gotten the same benefit had they not run into you on that particular day.
1: Oh, I'm so down with that. <laughs> I know and you. Are. You know I am. I
0: know you are. That's. There's yeah. no point in asking you to do that because that seems to be just people, how you live your people life.
1: People passed it on to me. I had my first editor in radio. He had a like a miniature toy uh, chainsaw in his desk, and you'd hand the copy to him, and he read it and then pull that chainsaw and, go, and then get out the red pencil and just tear it apart mm-hmm. but he did it for me not against me and he took me to Cincinnati he went down there and thought of me and brought me down mm-hmm. I did the same thing for another mm-hmm. guy um, yeah um, I felt the effects of having somebody try to make my meeting them impact my life. Right. You live that way. You, you're you already a success.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Craig. Man, this it was wild. Great. Thanks, man. <laughs> thank Appreciate you. it. Okay, that was Craig Kopp. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation with him. If you are interested in Craig at all, he has his own podcast called Everyday Ethics that you can check out uh, anywhere that podcasts are available. It's really interesting. Uh, 15 minutes at a time. They cover so much stuff. It's just like a good, sweet little burst of um, information. I highly recommend it. Other than that, uh, just thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed getting to make it. It... It really is fun to, to reach out to people and try to have these elongated conversations, and uh, I just hope I get better at it. In the meantime, I'll be posting again soon, and uh, thanks for just stopping by and checking me out. Bye.